Welcome to the Alliance Party After Dark, a podcast for the politically aware brought to you by the Alliance Party. Content for this episode was recorded on Sunday, December 6, 2020. And a good evening to you. I'm Dan Schaefer, producer of the podcast. So this week, we took a break. Between the holidays and the election before that, we decided we needed some time to line up some guests and put together some interesting topics. But that doesn't mean we're out of material. We figured it's a good time to review a podcast that originally aired on January 26th of this year. Yeah, it seems like a lifetime ago. It was before COVID. It was before the election. On January 26th, Ralph Nader dropped in to talk about the many contributions that political third parties have made throughout our nation's history. He also talked about the difficulty third parties encounter when trying to break through the barriers that the duopoly has erected to protect itself. It seems a good time to revisit those concepts with an expert in that field. As we head into this post-election season, we may reflect back on the election itself and consider yet again the attraction of third political parties, like the Alliance Party, and what advantages they can bring to the political system in America. So please sit back and enjoy our previously taped conversation with Mr. Ralph Nader. So Mr. Nader, uh, welcome to the Alliance Party After Dark, and I want to thank you for joining us and giving us your insight this evening. Well, thank you very much. Uh, It's interesting that you're working with a lot of small parties, some state-based around the country, and it's the small parties historically that highlighted the great progress we've made Uh, The little tiny anti-slavery party was called the Liberty Party in 1840, and there were parties uh, pushing for women's right to vote, farmer and worker uh, rights against banks and railroads, and all kinds of social uh, progressive legislation like the 40-hour week, the right to form trade unions, and what we now know as Medicare, Social Security, unemployment compensation. They were all started by little third parties who threw these issues into the public arena for discussion, and they never won a national election. But because they persisted, other larger parties eventually picked up these changes. So we've got to make sure that third parties can get on the ballot more easily, they can get voices on the debates more easily, where now they're being largely shut out by the two-party duopoly, the Republican and Democratic Party, dialing for the same dollars, and especially on foreign and military policy in Wall Street, uh, getting to be pretty much similar. Well, it's it's a good point, because the... the, the um, ability to be, to get onto the national scene for these local small parties, uh, it's it's very onerous and, and it's it's arguably unconstitutional. These protectionist laws that that the two parties, the Republican and Democratic, uh, particularly the state legislators, that they've put into place in many states to make it very difficult and very expensive for third parties to qualify to uh, have candidates on the ballot. Well, we've won some lawsuits and, and Libertarian Party and. Green Party and others, uh, we're rolling it back slowly. Uh, That is, some of the obstacles in state law to third parties and independent candidates getting on the ballot are being removed on grounds that they're unconstitutional. And uh, it's interesting, however, that all these issues of third party access have all been turned down by the Supreme Court. In the last 40 years, the U.S. Supreme Court 
has not accepted one case. But there have been circuit court of appeals and district court and state courts who basically said, hey, uh, Democratic Party, hey, Republican Party, you're blocking uh, voices and choices for the voter, and you're blocking people who can provide that in small party and independent candidates. So we got to keep pushing. We favor one uh, one standard for all candidates running for congressional office of the president. Why do we have 50 different states? Uh, they have standards for their own state candidates, for governor and mayor, but they shouldn't have all these different standards varying widely. Petitions that have to be accumulated, deadlines, all kinds of ways that they can obstruct you. It should be one federal standard. There have been some congressmen in the past who put in a bill, but it didn't go anywhere. But we should press forward. So we give the public more voices and choices, and more of them will turn out to vote when you when you have that. Well, how do you how do you do this? Because you know a lot of the um, incumbents of these uh, two dominant parties they resist these things, such as you know term limits, uh, uh, nonpartisan redistricting committees to end gerrymandering, uh, ranked choice voting, and tra- enhanced transparency for candidates. You know, such as disclosure of tax returns, etc. They they all sort of resist this. Uh, how does how how would we go about um, getting around some of this resistance? Well, you find out what succeeded. So, for example, in Iowa, years ago, they developed a, from the legislature, because of citizen demanding it, a nonpartisan commission, and they draw districts that prevent this atrocious gerrymandering where the party in charge of the state government gets to pick their voters instead of the voters picking the incumbents or the candidates. Um, and California has just uh, taken a, that model and, and put it into play. So that's one way. You have nonpartisan commissions. That's the way they do it in Europe and elsewhere, Canada, mm-hmm. uh, that, that draw these districts. So they're not drawn like snake-like uh, curves and twists, mm-hmm. uh, almost neighborhood by neighborhood based on voting records to, to make it easier for the dominant party to win. Like in Pennsylvania, uh, more people voted for the congressional candidates on the Democratic ticket than on the Republican. But the Republicans, because of gerrymandering in the past, they got more members in the House yeah. of Representatives than the Democrats do from Pennsylvania. So that's one way. And another way is to pursue the, the litigation. There are already courts, the federal courts are starting to say, you know, this may be uh, a constitutional issue. It hasn't gone up to the Supreme Court yet in a big way, but it's it's on the way. And there was a North Carolina case that began to loosen uh, the gerrymandering tyrannies, and there'll be more coming. So both by legislatures putting out nonpartisan commissions and by litigation, uh, we should uh, move toward a process where it's the voters who pick the uh, people who they want to represent them, not okay. the reverse. Rather than the other way around, yeah. Well, what do you think about this? There's this thing, uh, fairvote.org is, a, is an organization that we've had twice in our podcast already. They have this idea of this of the multi-winner congressional elections. Have you um, heard of that at all? Or is that, uh, um, that that's basically where you take uh, your um, congressional districts, let's say you have a state with, like, well, Missouri, where I'm at right now, we have eight congressional districts, 
you can combine them into, say, three congressional districts where each district can then vote for anywhere from two to three different candidates, depending upon how it's been combined. So that sort of um, mitigates some of the effects of gerrymandering. Yeah, well, the original... One of the original champions of that was the first woman ever elected to Congress, Jeanette Rankin. And in basically the only reason she was elected was because in Montana, both members uh, running for the House of Representatives ran statewide. And so they didn't split the state into two districts. And she favored that all her long life of champion labor, women's rights, electoral reform, Jeanette Rankin, great great woman. Okay. And uh, so this is just a smaller version of that. Uh, for example, if, if in Connecticut, the five members of Congress ran statewide, then it's much more likely uh, that there'll be a more diverse uh, result because you would, it wouldn't be winner take all on the first round. You, you'd have people voting uh, one, two, three, four, five uh, levels, and it would be much better for who gets elected uh and Correct. so that it, that's that's what you want it's it's uh it's it's a process where uh, people can go to the, the polls and let's say five members are running on the ballot so the top five winners of the votes get elected right well you can see how uh smaller voices can have uh, cumulatively uh, a fairer process that way yeah, I mean, if you, 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 you take that um, the multi-winner district and the, and incorporate uh, perhaps ranked choice voting, which seems to be taking root in some places in the U.S. these days. I know it's it's been used in other countries like Australia for quite some time now. But um, yeah, that's where you make sure that no one wins the election until they have a majority, and so if they don't win it on the first round, the second choice of the candidates kicks in. And if that doesn't happen, the third choice the candidate kicks in. It's hard to see how it's actually going to work out, whether people are going to have the patience to say, well, I'm voting for Ann Smith, and I'm going to vote second choice Joe Jones, and I'm going to vote the third choice Ricardo Sanchez. And uh, most people will say, I just want to vote one for one person. So we'll see how it works. There are some cities that have already done it. And uh, I've not seen the analysis in places like San Francisco, but I don't consider that the big reform. The mm-hmm. big reform, to me, is everybody over 18 automatically votes, no registration needed, number one, and voting is a universal duty, like in Australia, uh, where everybody has a duty to vote. Now, they can vote for the candidates, they can vote for a write-in of their own choice, or they can vote for none of the above, which takes care of the civil liberties problems. And just as we're supposed to have a jury duty requirement coming out of the Seventh Amendment to the Constitution, uh, we certainly should have voting as a duty. And then billions of dollars don't have to be spent begging people to vote, begging people to circumvent this and dealing with voter suppression, which would be a serious criminal uh, violation where you have universal voting as a duty. And uh, even Obama said some nice things about it once in Ohio when he was asked, but, you know, like so many things, he doesn't follow through. Yeah. 
And also just voting on Tuesdays as well. I mean, it was at the first Tuesday of uh, November. Um, a lot of states still stick to that. I know, again, Missouri, where I live, it's, it's you vote on Tuesday. You can do early voting as well, uh, which sure. is uh, somewhat encouraged. But uh, having a perhaps a week-long voting process would be uh, yeah. beneficial as voting well. Voting suppression has become a real menace now. They, they find new ways to obstruct, impede, delay, discourage, uh, purge the rolls. And um, I never thought we'd come to this after the victories with the civil rights laws in 1960s. Uh, mm-hmm. But that was unleashed by the Shelby Supreme Court case called Shelby uh, in 2013 when Chief Justice Roberts said, well, uh, things are pretty nice now in the South and there's no real discrimination. We can get rid of these uh, safeguards. Well, that's what unleashed the voting suppression. Yeah. And it went right back. Yeah. So um, I, I know you're, you're pressed for time at this point, but I, I would just like to try to get your, your opinion on one more thing. This this uh, third party, one of the things third parties have to overcome is this this spoiler argument. Um, do you have any opinion on that when people say, you know, if you... That's a politically bigoted word mm-hmm. because, Dan, as you know, it's never used between Republican and Democrat. They don't call each other spoilers. It's only small parties that want to give the voters more voices and choices they call spoilers. So my first response is, if everyone has an equal right to run for president or for mayor or for governor or for senator in the United States, then we're either all spoilers of one another because they're trying to get each other's votes, or none of us are spoilers. And the second is, look at the tremendous contribution in the 19th century and early 20th century that third parties made for the kind of livelihood and standard of living, labor protections, consumer protections, income security, social security, and so on, uh, that we now take uh, for granted. And the third is that we should never analyze final elections by saying the Republican beat the Democrat by 600 votes and a third party uh, on the right got 5,000. Therefore, they caused the loss uh, of the other candidate. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and that that's total nonsense because it's the dynamics before the election that make all the difference in the world in anticipating uh, the different candidates and the different issues. Yeah. That's number one. And number two, uh, for the most part, stealing votes, suppressing votes, not counting them properly, more than uh, covers what piddling numbers third parties get in elections uh, these days. You remember in Florida in 2000, uh, Jeb Bush and his Secretary of State uh, finagled the ballots so that they weren't, uh, they were uh, deceptive in South Florida. Mm -hmm. And they also hired a consulting firm uh, that somehow uh, got the names of thousands of people who had similar names to felons who had finished their term and couldn't vote, and they stripped thousands of people, yeah, right off the illegally polls. of the of the right to vote. Mm-hmm. So the point is that let's get over this spoiler problem. Everybody should try to do the right thing by the voters, and let the tallies fall where they may. A vote for the Green Party is just as sacred as a vote for the two big parties. Yeah. And they shouldn't diminish it and degrade it 
because they're being politically bigoted and they're basically restricting the voices and choices of the American voter. If you want more, go to nationalpopularvote.org, which is a way to neutralize the Electoral College so that presidential candidates who win the popular vote don't lose the office. And presidential candidates who lose the popular vote, the way mm-hmm. the way uh, Bush did in two, uh, the way Bush did to Gore, and the way uh, the way in 2016 Trump did to Hillary Clinton, uh, don't end up winning the election. Yeah. What other country in the world where you come in second and then you have something called the Electoral College that gives you the victory? Yeah. And uh, so this nationalpopularvote.org, it's a little too detailed to discuss. It's already halfway to neutralizing through state legislation from California to New York, already have passed it, uh, so that never again presidential candidates who win the popular vote lose the election. And uh, by the way, if you want to see what a third party or an independent party candidate campaigns on that the other two parties refuse to to put on the table and even discuss, I have on my old website, votenator.org, for the 2008 election. It's still open for your access. You'll see about 18 or 19 very important issues, most of them supported by a majority of the American people, that were put off the table, off the table, by Obama and McCain in 2008. Never even discussed it, such as a living wage, cracking down on corporate crime, universal health insurance, a progressive tax system, de-bloating the wasteful military budget of empire, and so on. Okay. And what was that website again? It's votenator.org. Votenator.org. And that's all one word, no hyphens or underscores? Yeah, that's right. Okay. Wonderful. Well, I, I appreciate you stopping by to talk with us this evening, Mr. Uh, Ralph Nader. Uh, we've been talking with Ralph Nader, uh, who is an attorney, activist, politician, and author. And uh, I uh, uh, thanks for stopping by, Ralph, and, and um, giving us some of your wisdom. You're welcome, Dan. Thank you for your program. You've been listening to a conversation with Ralph Nader, recorded here at the Alliance Party After Dark last January 26th. I always enjoy listening to Ralph on his podcast called The Ralph Nader Radio Hour. You can find it wherever you download your podcasts. And thank you for tuning in to the Alliance Party After Dark. Please consider subscribing to this podcast so that you don't miss any episodes. Each week we'll bring you interesting topics from the Alliance Party. You may subscribe on iTunes, Google, or Spotify. Also, keep in mind that the podcast has a Twitter page at Alliance On Air. And if you have any suggestions for future topics or people we might want to interview in a future podcast, please drop us an email at podcast at thealliancepartycom All content for this podcast is copyright The Alliance Party. Views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of The Alliance Party. This podcast is a production of The Alliance Party, a decades-long movement of fiscally conservative, moderate, accountable, and reasoned independents former Democrats, former Republicans, and alienated voters who demand that our elected officials work in the spirit of nonpartisanship for all constituents and provide a better future for our country. This podcast was made possible by your donations to the Alliance Party. If you'd like to join the Alliance Party, visit our website at theallianceparty.com. 
That's thealliancepartycom Drop in and see what we're all about and get involved. Volunteer your time, make a donation, submit an article or blog, or run for office. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Dan Schaefer, producer of the Alliance Party After Dark, and on behalf of everyone at the Alliance Party, have a wonderful evening, a great week ahead, and we hope you drop in for our next show. Be safe, be aware, and please take care of yourself and those around you.